everybody. We are, you are listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio at the beginning of the week. You're with mm. the double L team, Laland. Lawson. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, right, it's kind yeah. of a Monday, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and, and Lawson, what are you thankful for this morning? I am thankful that last night I ate the best pizza in Newcastle. A, a lot of your thankfulnesses revolve around food. They should. Usually Asian food, but this time Italian. Yeah, this time Italian. Like, and I and I am putting it out there. It's probably the best Italian food, pizza specifically, not only in Newcastle, but probably in Australia. Vegetarian one? Vegetarian. Vegan. Oh, vegan. 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 Mm-hmm. But this, wow. this place is called Napoli Centrale. It's like, it's a bit of an, it's been in Newcastle for like, since like 2014. A bit of a shout out this morning. And yeah, dude, shout out because they have, I will take on anyone. They have the best pizza in Australia. They have the most Italian pizza in Australia. This is the point. The people who worked out are all from Naples. Oh, Napoli. And the pizza is incredible. It's like you are in Naples. when. You okay, guess that. what I'm thankful for. What are you morning? thankful for? Pain. Wow. <laughs> Lawson's pain. <laughs> oh, my pain. Come on. Get out of here. Be thankful for your own pain. You told me you were sore. Lawson, Lawson and I are sitting here in agony this morning. <laughs> yeah, bro. Lawson's got a wisdom tooth giving him trouble. I put my gearbox in my Nissan Patrol by myself yesterday in the driveway. So impressive. It, if, if for anyone out there, there's probably no one listening has ever done that. But if anyone ever has done, that's actually super impressive. Mm-hmm. And I am feeling every muscle and every bone in my body this morning. I am in agony, but it's kind of in there, so that's a good thing. <laughs> You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, let's have some positively different news there, Lord. Okay, okay, Lyle. I'm just going to ask you the question: Ah. Or is smart technology making us dumber? Definitely. Well, you're wrong. Uh, no, I'm not wrong. I am, I'm uh, absolutely right. I'm, no, an, I'm an ex-gen, and I can tell you from experience, because I have lived without smart technology, unlike the rest of you, that it is making us dumber. You reckon? Yes. How so? Okay, so take, for instance, navigation. Okay. There was once a time when we used to know how to follow uh-huh. a map, and we used to navigate... And, uh, you know, once you'd driven to a place, you would remember where that place was and you wouldn't need a map the next time you went there. Now that we have a smartphone, we just follow the blue line and we never have any idea where we are. And we have to drive the same place like 10 times before we figure out how to get there. I like that you brung up that point because um, this article that that I read this morning actually... Uh, what? I like that you said brung up. (laughs) (laughs) Brang up. (laughs) Get lost. Um... But my point is, is that actually this article that I was reading this morning uh, and last night proves you wrong. Uh, because think about it. If we don't have to think about navigation, then we can use our brain for other things. And this is the point that this like article... Social media? No, like, you know, instead Kardashians. of... Oh, well, what about when I arrive to my destination, <laughs> what I'm going to do when I get there, rather than just freaking out about missing the wrong street and trying to find... I don't know. But- this is a valid point, mm-hmm. provided that we do use our brain in constructive ways during that extra lag time that we now have. So basically, um, a doctor, a professor from the University of Cincinnati, he 
published a paper in uh, the journal Nature Human Behavior. You know, you've got the Nature series of journals that are they're they're like the gold standard of publishing new research. You know, if you if you get published, and he's from the University of Cincinnati, and he's come out with the big claim essentially that despite the headlines, there is no scientific evidence that shows us that smartphones and digital technology harm our biological cognitive abilities. Point blank. Yeah, whatever. This is what he said. So, obviously, there are negatives to smart technology, right? Though, like, 100%, like, things like um, um, blue light, you know, and texting while driving. (laughs) Very much a negative. Very much negatives. But for the actual uses of our uh, cognitive abilities, there is no impairment that smart technology brings on. Mm. Uh, the, The idea there is that, like, you know, if you just, like have a cast on your leg and walk on crutches for the rest of your life, you don't utilize the muscles in your leg and then you use the ability to lose the ability to use your leg. Mm. What they're saying is that doesn't happen with smart technology. Mm. Why are you doing this, love? <laughs> Listen to me. It's, no, I'm just giving you a hard time. Never the mind. man said so. He got published for it. <laughs> but yeah, he's saying like things like um, memorization, um, and like calculation, storing information, all that thing, it actually gives us the ability to do more complex tasks, tasks because of smart technology, which I'm going to talk about a new story in a little bit, which proves it. Um, because essentially, like if uh, we're not taking up our time with all these extra little, ta- like minute tasks, like navigation, well, then we can spend our time doing better things. Yeah. Probably, probably one another one that proves it is like working from home. Something that we have the ability to do today. I have a friend I was talking to yesterday. Like we we were we were you know going for a walk. Uh, There's a group of us out outside. You know, not breaking any COVID yes. laws, getting some fresh air. And um, I was talking to her, and because. For some people, they're like, oh, you know, if I have to work at home, I'm like so not motivated. Like, it's really hard. Whereas for her, she's like, I love working at home. I don't have to drive to work. I don't have to navigate because of, you know, my computer and my ability to hook in and get my tasks done. Um, I get so much more done. I have so much more time in the day. It's been a really interesting experiment, the COVID lockdowns, just to see how effectively people can work from home Mm. and how efficiently people can work from home. And this is what, and she, I think she was a case for me where she's like, I'm so much more efficient when I'm at home because of the way that smart technology has enabled me to do so. Yes. And so. No, it's a real, it's, it's a great thing. And of course, you know, that's good for the environment as well. Mm. So Lyle, ultimately yes. you're wrong. And uh, no, smart wrong. technology is a good thing, apparently. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. actually it's the guy he said, the guy uh, who published this, um, Professor Kemero. He he ultimately summarized his paper by saying, while there may be other consequences to smart technology, making us stupid is not one of them. Yeah, okay. All right, you win. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I always win. All right, uh, finally. Oi, the f- Lyle, it's happening. Yes. Kind of. Okay. I, I say this pretty often, but uh-huh. it's kind of happening. All right. We're waiting for it. A nuclear thermofusion Anything with nuclear in it has got my attention. It's 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 happening. Well, essentially, um, the East Fusion Facility in Haifei, China, recently created plasma gas that was heated to 120 million degrees Celsius, which is oh. three times three times the um, the heat of the sun, um, and that kept, is wild. Kept it there for 101 seconds. 
So, you know, mm. minute, minute 40 seconds before it dissipated, setting a new world record for both heat and duration. That's a lot of energy right there. So, essentially, like, why, why this is important, like, it, like nuclear thermofusion is basically, it's, it's been theorized to, have, to be possible, like, since the 50s yes. or however long ago. Um, and it is viewed ever since then as, like, the technology of the future. Like, this is, if we can make this happen, essentially what that means is no more gas, no more petrol, no more, like, literally, like, if oil. you have a car accident and Chernobyl happens in your backyard. Oh, well, if you have a thermonuclear reactor in your car, <laughs> then you've got a bit of a problem. But, no, the point is, though, is that, like, basically how it works is that it uses the similar premise as what the sun does by squeezing hydrogen, the single most abundant element in existence, yes. into helium, yes. which creates energy. Oh, this is just a fan. This is fantastic. This is, like, the best piece of technology ever. I'm a huge fan of nuclear power. Yeah. I, you know, we just need to figure out ways of making it safer and mm. using it for all kinds of stuff. We've got a nervous reaction to it because we've made bombs out of it, but there's so much we can yeah. do with it to make our world a better place. Well, essentially, like, this is the puzzle that all people all over the place are trying to crack. Like, how can we do this safely, safely. and su- sustainably? Yes. And uh, it looks like we're taking one more step closer there. So, uh, there you go. Awesome stuff. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Let's talk about let's talk about Mindy this morning. Okay, Mindy's a ten year old girl, mm-hmm. and uh, this story is brought to us by a um, person by the name of Walt Meyer. Now, Walt Meyer has an interesting story. Walt Meyer was is, uh, was a, a transgender male, so transitioned to female for eight years, found that that wasn't working, and then detransitioned, and has now become somewhat of a spokesman on transgender issues. And he brings us this story of 10-year-old Mindy as an example of what is taking place in Western society today. And mm. this is a fairly typical story. So 10-year-old Mindy, uh, what happened was that just before COVID lockdown, the first big COVID lockdown, she changed schools. Mm-hmm. That's pretty you know, pretty big, pretty traumatic for a 10-year-old. You've got to find new friends. You're feeling super awkward. You don't have a social network, feeling super insecure, all that kind of stuff mm. that you know, particularly girls deal with. Uh, then after uh, transitioning to the new school, then lockdown came in and so she did online school. So another big disruption right there, mm. doing online school for quite a number of months. And then back to this new school and uh, she was found to be to be dealing with overwhelming distress and anxiety. There's, there's nothing surprising in that. Uh, we see lots and lots of kids go through that whenever they move from one school to another. I don't know about you, Lawson, but I've been to a few different schools when I was a kid, and mm. it's not easy. Yeah, it's just, it's yeah. just tough. Uh, so, like good parents, they took along to the counsellor, but what happened was that the counsellor excluded the parents, and this is typical these days because there is an assumption that if the child is coming to the counsellor, then the parents may be involved in abuse and they can't get to the bottom of that unless they exclude the parents. And I actually have a major problem with that because parents have the first duty of care towards children. Mm. Anyway, be that as it may, um, the counsellor then claimed that the girl was suicidal and so she was hospitalised initially for three days. That was extended to six. Uh, and then they tried to keep her longer than that. And during that time, the parents were allowed no visits, no updates, no information at all. Now, I, for those of you who are listening in today and who are parents, imagine if your 10-year-old is hospitalised, gone for ten, for six days, and you are allowed no contact. Imagine how traumatic that would actually be. 
And so her mum stepped in and said, no, that's enough. We're taking her home. Mm. And so go mum for being for actually being a parent. Mm. Um, continue with the counsellor. As soon as she got out of hospital, the counsellor immediately diagnosed this girl as being transgender. Mm. So completely ignored all of the issue, all of the social issues that she was in a new school, that she'd been dealing with lockdown, uh, that she was dealing with a new social network, that she was being bullied on the bus. You know the whole full list of of things that could have been looked at as causes for this anxiety. Ignored all that and just went to the the new uh, default, which is oh, you must be transgender. Mm. Um. Then you know that's then then so the first step in of course all of this is to isolate the parents and the second step is to give a diagnosis with kind of no background at all. Um, third step is that the, the therapist gave the child a male name without asking the parents, no permission whatsoever. All just gave the child a male name. Oh, this is your new name. And what this does is that it alters a child's psyche. So what we've got to remember about children is that their brain is like wet clay mm. and it is easily moldable. And if you start telling a child something, they actually believe you because you're an adult. That's what children do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, and, and then, of course, you connect this with the fact that we live in a society now where the whole transitioning uh, thing is being glorified on YouTube, on TV shows, on children's shows, video games, in the education system, mm-hmm. in you know, uh, reading in libraries by cross-dressers and, you know, all, all this kind yeah, of, it's, yeah, it's yeah. thoroughly glorified in our society today. And so you get a kid who has no social network, who is at a new school, is feeling awkward, is feeling insecure, is feeling like they can't fit in, and suddenly they're given a path to being a very attractive celebrity. And it's a pretty big temptation. It's an immediate path to acceptance. And so then, of course, we also deal with a society right now in which kids are being bombarded with this from kindergarten. Um, Mm. They've been given trans books, trans activities. um, And once again, kids' brains are like wet clay and you start telling them this kind of stuff, they are going to believe you. Uh, Which what it has now been doing in... I'm going to probably talk more about this tomorrow, but it has created a social contagion that is spreading like wildfire that actually does a tremendous amount of disservice to people who are genuinely suffering from gender dysphoria Mm. because there are people who really do suffer with this. Mm. And I can't even begin to imagine how difficult and how challenging it would be and we need to have tremendous amount of compassion for people who are suffering genuinely with gender dysphoria. But now what we're doing is we are manufacturing gender dysphoria on record levels, uh, which, which is just a tragedy for society. Um, now, of course, you know, this girl, her mother was obviously a diligent mother and, you know, desired to be a parent and researched day and night to try and find out what was going on, looked into a child's life, noted that her child was uh, having uh, particular anxiety attacks after online contact with two particular friends, mm. started to do a bit of digging, started to do a bit, had some, some long, quiet talks with her daughter, and it came out that she wasn't uh, suffering from gender dysphoria at all, uh, but these these two 
two, two people had been bullying her mm. at school and she had no social network and they'd been saying, well, we won't be your friends unless you transition. And so she was like, wow. okay, all right, then I need to transition. Now, we live in a society where children, where, where it is illegal in many parts of the Western world and Western society for a counsellor to do anything but affirm any child's claim to transition. So you can't question it. Mm. You can't do any digging. You can't have that quiet talk and figure out what's going on. You just have to, yes, that's what you are, and then give them irreversible treatments. Yeah, well. Which is really, really terrifying because, you know, you, you talk about puberty blockers and these kinds of uh, treatments that are given to children. This is what These are the same treatments that used to be given to criminals. Mm. So back in the day, chemical castration of criminals used to be with these drugs and now we are treating our children with the same drugs that we used to treat criminals with mm. and has been outlawed because it's a terrible thing to do. Mm. And we give them to children. And then basically 100% then move on from there to uh, testosterone, you know, particularly amongst young girls and so forth, to testosterone. And, of course, that's going to have a permanent effect. Uh, and this has anywhere between a 70 and 90% failure rate, 17 mm. to 90% detransition, regret transitioning. And, of course, their lives have just been destroyed irreversibly thereafter. This is a form of child abuse and child grooming like our world has never seen before. Mm. And it's a tragedy. We need to do something to save our children. And we need to do something so that we can actually we can actually find those people who are really struggling with gender dysphoria mm. and actually have a major problem in that particular area. So I've got a whole bunch of research on this that is absolutely going to shock you and it's going to blow your mind as to what is happening in Western society right now. It's the second half of this story. This story is one personal example of what is happening in the thousands around us right now. And we need to step up as, be, as parents. We need to be parents to our children. And we need to save our children from this social, social contagion that is going on. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Joining us on the phone this morning for a monthly update is Jared Stackeroth from Signs of the Times magazine, editor of Signs of the Times <laughs> magazine. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, well, thanks for having me. Great to be here. We always enjoy what you've got to share with us here on The Breakfast Show and in particular about what's happening in the world of Signs of the Times. Jared, what's our big story for this month? So I guess you could look at the theme of justice, Lyle. Um, divine justice. We're, we're asking a big question. What is, really is justice? Because we hear it being talked about in the media and the news a lot. Uh, there's a lot of movements that claim to have sort of justice at the centre. But what is sort of universal justice? What does justice really mean? And, and some of the misconceptions and um, preconceptions that we have around the topic of justice. It's a very interesting article by Ryan Stanton, and he delves into the different 
I guess the different forms that we're familiar with, procedural justice, sort of court systems and things like that, and retributive justice, which is like paying for your crimes, I guess, the, the whole prison system and that sort of thing. And then he compares those with God's divine justice. Is God a just God? And, and, and some of those questions that people might have around that topic. So it really is an interesting study in, in justice. Okay, so does it, is this an article... I mean, do you go as far as tackling really heavy subjects like, say, for instance, Hellfire? Look, I guess you'll have to read and find out. I think he does, yeah. He, he mentions it. He, he's, sort of, he's sort of more looking at, I guess, the great story arc of history. How, how does God um, come out in, in terms of what it means to have fallen as a human race and how God sort of has, has moved through that, that story to to bring about ultimate justice at the end. Yeah, fantastic. It's a uh, certainly a great theme to write on and something that a lot of people have a lot of questions on this de- on these days, you know, particularly, you know, you've got the concept of judgment that comes through there as well. And we have this mantra that we hear all the po- time, don't judge me. And people don't right. like to be judged by others. They don't like to be judged by God. And, of course, justice is one of those things that is intimately connected to judgment. That's right, Lyle. We all say sort of don't judge. We, we don't want to be judged by other people. And, and yet, if there was no justice, uh, we'd all be pretty upset by that. We all want justice when it comes to the things that we're concerned about or passionate about. And yet, when when it comes to other people, we, we're like, hey, don't judge me. You don't have the, that right. So, yeah, it's a very interesting um, sort of, it brings up a lot of interesting questions. Mm, certainly does. And of course, these all relate to the character of God and, and who God actually is. I've come across different theories out there as to, you know, does God kill? Does not God not kill? Is there punitive justice or judgment? These are things that we need to be talking about and we need to be looking at what does the, what does the Bible say about it? So I'm super glad to hear that Signs of the Times is getting in there, tackling some of the hard subjects again as you guys normally do. What else, what else are some of the, uh, significant articles of this month? Well, Lyle, there's also a little bit of an Indigenous Australian theme. Um, We've got NAIDOC week in in the month of July. And so we talked to an Indigenous leader um, of the church and asked him just a little bit about what NAIDOC even is, what it means, where it came from. The statement, the Uluru statement, uh, one of our regular authors, Nathan Brown, has a look at that, understanding what it meant and, and what it means going forward and, and what Indigenous people are looking to ask for. Um, what, what, what are their concerns? What are their claims? And it's something that isn't talked about a lot, um, doesn't get a lot of priority, certainly in, in a lot of my involvement with things. Uh, people don't even understand what some of these things pertain to. So it's a really important conversation to have, I think. And, um, yeah, Darren, Pastor Darren Garlett was gracious enough to spend some time with me, actually, and we did an, an interview um, on some of the NADOC um, week um, events that are happening and, and what it means. And, yeah, it was a really good conversation, actually, with Darren, and um, he shed some light on a lot of things. Um, pertaining to Indigenous Australians and what they're looking for and even some of the justice elements that, that they're seeking um, when some of the justice that they're seeking through um, Australia. So quite an interesting theme as well that has developed in, in the July issue. 
Yeah, and of course, Darren Gala, he's a, an Indigenous person himself, and so um, he'd be able to give you a great perspective on, you know, those different... And I think for some of us, you know, who don't kind of have that background, it's hard to understand the issues and where, you know, a lot of these people are coming from. So to be able yeah, to get I, their I, side of the story is always going to be important. It is. As I reflect in, in the editorial for the, for the month, you know, um, when I was a kid at school, sort of, we had a lot of jokes pertaining to Aboriginal Indigenous people. We had stereotypes. But it, it was just really common. Um, and, and looking back, um, quite hurtful and quite prejudiced. And, and, you know, it's a little bit shameful to admit, but yeah, I, I've been part of those conversations. And I think it's important to just understand, um, where, what sort of the struggles are and what some of the, the, the issues are that, that they're keen to, to unpack um, in NADOG. And so gracious, Darren was so gracious sort of talking through some of that stuff with, with me. And, and I, I just think it's important, as it, even personally, you know, it was, it was a learning experience. I, don't, I didn't understand before putting this magazine together sort of the Uluru statement, what that was all about um, and what, they were looking for and, and, you know, moving on past some of this sort of assumed knowledge is really important just to, just to help us get a bit of a better grasp on what our fellow human beings are going through. For sure. With the, um, with, you, you said you did an interview with um, Pastor Darren Garlett, who's an Indigenous yeah. pastor. Uh, was this something that was recorded for like a podcast or something like that? Or was this just um, taking notes for the article from the magazine? Um, there will be a podcast with a gentleman called um, Branson Turner. He's uh, also an Indigenous representative from over in Perth. He's got some great things to share with Daniel. Um, Daniel Kubrick, the Associate Editor of Signs of the Times. So they've done a podcast together, and we'll be playing that um, during the month of July, during this month. And he covers a lot of, a lot of the same issues. And with the uh, with the podcasts that you guys put together for Signs of the Times magazine, uh, where do we go to actually find those? Is it just the normal uh, signsofthetimes.org.au, something like that? I forget what the exact uh, URL is. Uh, just give me a sec. <laughs> just right. grab that. that um, just need to double-check because, yeah. Um, it's all good. We'll just um, make sure we get it right. Cut this bit out. Yeah, so well, on our signsofthetimes.org.au website, there is a tab or a page. Um, if you go to signsofthetimes.org.au slash podcast, all the podcasts are up there, uh, but it's also available through places like Spotify. Oh, fantastic. Great stuff. Uh, Jared, You, uh, we, we've talked about uh, NADOC Week. We've talked about... Uh, justice, uh, there must be some more really interesting articles in the magazine this month. What else are we talking about? That's right. As you know, Lyle, Signs of the Times always brings some good sort of health tips through. Um, I really enjoyed an article that we had in this month about sleep, the importance of sleep. I didn't realise um, how important sleep was to have a healthy brain and some of the links with um, dementia and other long-term health impacts that having a really good sleep every night gives you. Um, so sleeping linked to immunity, 
um, and forgetfulness and, and how healthy your brain is. So there's some really good tips, like practical, healthy tips on why it's important to have a good sleep. It just might encourage, you know, our listeners to have a bit of a better sleep because it certainly did for me. I was challenged by that one. Yeah, and I think this is one of these interesting ones because we have this um, we have this kind of tension in today's society where you know we 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 do tend to be very good friends with our bed and very good friends with our pillow, but we also have these distractions that keep us awake late into the night. You know, particularly screens and so forth. And from some of the people that I've interviewed here on Faith FM from time to time, they've talked about how that really can be damaging to sleep and have long term negative impacts. Oh, definitely. And I think we're all, we all go through different seasons where we, we struggle with getting enough sleep, making ourselves get enough sleep. You know, we've had a, um, throughout the pandemic and things, we've had a, a fairly newborn baby. Uh, she's one now. Uh, but as any parent will know, there's, there's times of <laughs> sleepless nights yes, throughout that. So yeah, it's been, it's been a struggle certainly for me to get enough sleep in recent times. So I guess that might be a reason it really resonated. Um, with me and I guess it's similar to that linking to that there might be another reason to stay up late or, or um, to not get enough sleep if, if our listeners are into the Olympics uh, we have an author who tackles actually my sister wrote for us um, in science Brianna Watson she's written about the Olympics and I guess some of the history of the Olympics which is quite interesting and what we can learn about the spirit of competition and um I guess, how to be good people. Yes, indeed. And uh, I guess, um, you know, it'll be interesting to to see how that all plays out. You know, the Olympics, the pandemic, uh, the various competitors, some of the, some of the interesting issues that, uh, you know, for instance, with trans athletes and so forth. It's going to be a, an Olympics of a quite a different flavour this time around than what we've ever seen before. That's right. And is it even going to go ahead? You know, it, well, this is very it's, true. Been, it's been sort of up in the air this whole time. And I know a lot of people um, have either cancelled or not been able to qualif- get to qualifying events because of quarantine and things, especially Australian um, athletes. Um, so it will be very interesting to see how it all, all pans out. I guess um, the takeaway or a takeaway is that um, it, it, athletes in this Olympics have had to show exceptional perseverance to deal with some of the sort of um, conditions. And if we think about it, all of us have, have had some different sort of working conditions, some different things going on with this whole pandemic, and we've all had to show um, perseverance. And perseverance is a, a biblical value. It's also a, a, a human quality that's really um, it's worth having um, to, 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 to persevere and to stick through and to have patience and so our author, you know, really does a good job of sort of highlighting that that idea. It's one of those things that, you know, I guess, uh, you know, the Bible talks about the Christian life being like a race and even uses Olympic kind of terminology uh, in relationship mm. to, you know, our Christian life and running that race. It does, yeah. And, and, and the author touches on that. You know, Paul sort of talks about um, running the race set before us and, and the crowd of witnesses or almost the crowd that is there cheering us on and, and watching us as we, we go through that, that life's journey and, and we receive that crown. And it's a really, um, it's a bit of a triumphal image, but it's also just hopeful, it's optimistic. You know, whatever trials and, 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 and 
difficulties we face, there is hope at the end. Um, I guess that leads to another story in here, which is about heaven. Um, our author sort of um, looks at what is heaven and and what will we do there? Will it be floating on clouds and playing harps or is there something more to heaven than, than just that? We well, see, Jared, I grew up in Tasmania and in Tasmania you float on a cloud, play a harp and you eat raspberry tarts, interestingly. Unique Tasmanian okay. twist right there. All right. Um, I, I did not know. <laughs> you've learned something new here this morning on Faith FM. Um, but I think for all of us, you know, we hear things like that and it's like, yeah, okay, that would keep me occupied for maybe 10 minutes. And we're mm-hmm. talking about eternity. Surely there has to be more to heaven than just floating around in a cloud and playing a harp. Yeah, I, I'm really. I guess captured by this idea that the Bible alludes to that um, we will create, you know, and, and I'm not talking about creating life or, or bringing forth things. I don't know about that, but we will be um, working. We will, you know, the people in, in the garden, originally Adam and Eve, according to the Bible, were given roles. They were given jobs to, to tend and to care for the garden, to care for the world that they were placed in. And we know that in heaven it will be, sort of the earth made new and that we will have things to do. There will be, um, whether it's um, crafting, wood, you know, woodworking or, 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 yeah, I don't know what it looks like, but um, our author sort of looks at what some of those things, some of those verses are that, that give us, I guess, a bit more hope than just floating around playing harps. Ah, indeed. And of course, you know, somebody like yourself, Jared, you love to write. Imagine the things that you'd be able to write about in heaven. We're certainly going to have a unique story when we get there. Jared, thank you so much for joining us here on Faith FM this morning and sharing with us about Signs of the Times magazine. Before we go, very quickly, a reminder to our listeners, how do we interact with Signs? Thanks, Lyle. Yeah, you can certainly subscribe to the Hard Copy magazine. We love it when people do that. There's also... Our website, signsofthetimes.org.au, and we have a Facebook and a Twitter. If you want to follow us on those platforms, Signs of the Times AU. And we've got a podcast, as we mentioned earlier in the interview. So please listen to our podcast at Spotify and wherever wherever you listen to your podcast. Fantastic. That's Jared Stackeroth from Signs of the Times, editor of Signs of the Times. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.